at the Northrop family in our household, we have a Christmas tradition. One of our favorite Christmas traditions is to bake Jesus a cake for his birthday. If you didn't know uh, a a little bit about me, I am a girl dad. I have girls all around me. I never thought that would be possible, but I do. Uh, God uh, is great in that way. And so I have uh, two little girls. One's four-year-old. Her name's Sadie Grace. And then another one, she was here. Her name's Sarah Joy. She was the one hiding behind a little uh, animal, stuffed animal. Um, And then I have a beautiful wife right here, Kristen. And actually, earlier this month, we celebrated our 11th anniversary. I know, yes. Uh, It's an anniversary that we will remember, we will not forget, because it was the day when all the tornadoes came in, and we were in the middle of Kentucky, and it wasn't Mayfield, uh, but it was pretty severe, and so my dad has a little cabin, we were there, and just um, like a pond, And I mean, you see the wind take this water left, right, left, right. Uh, You hear, we have a tin roof. The rain is just crashing down. There's no basement. It's at three o'clock in the morning to five o'clock. We didn't get any sleep. Um, And so, you know, thankfully we are all safe from that. But it was pretty crazy. (laughs) We were like, ah, what's going to happen? And then I have two dogs. I have two labs. We are a dog family. And they are both girls as well. So it's safe to say that there are hormones literally running all around at any given time at my house. Um, But this tradition that we do with baking Jesus a cake, our whole family gets excited. Uh, Kristen loves to decorate. She wants to be on HGTV. I feel like every mom wants to do that. Uh, So she loves to decorate. Sarah, my oldest, is a planner. She has a list. I don't know where she got that from, but she's keeping us in order. Dad, we got to get this. We got to get this. You got to do this. We got to let the dogs out, blah, 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 blah. And so she loves that. And then Sadie loves the process. She's fireball. She loves the process of baking the cake because she knows when we bake the cake, all the ingredients are around and that she gets to sneak in some icing when um, mommy's not looking. And then with Sadie, everything has to be sprinkles, all right? And not just any sprinkles, colored sprinkles, rainbow sprinkles. We believe in the Northrop household that Jesus prefers a rainbow cake, right? It's biblical. Um, And so everything has to be color and has to be sprinkles. But once a cake is finished baking, we, we light some candles and we sing Jesus' happy birthday. And this tradition is cute, it's manageable, um, and it gives us an opportunity as parents to make sure our kids know that come Christmas that Jesus is the greatest gift to us. Not the presents that you're going to get from grandpa or grandma, but Jesus is that gift, and we are celebrating him. See, on Christmas, guys, we don't celebrate just a normal baby, right? An ordinary baby coming into this world. Um, As beautiful as that may be, rather, Christmas, we celebrate the presence of God invading and coming into our midst A.W. Tozer, a great theologian and philosopher, he says this, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Even Jesus himself in scripture says to his close friends in Matthew 16, he says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples said, Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, right? He said, But what about you? Who do you say that I am? This question that Jesus asked, I believe, is still the most relevant 
imperative and important question you or I could ever ask ourselves. And here's why. Because we live in an ever-changing world with millions of philosophies, beliefs, numerous religions, all at the palm of our hand with just a quick Google search. And we can find pretty much anything with that Google search and anyone that believes or, you know, thinks differently, right? And everyone's right. It's just a quick Google search. But Jesus isn't solely concerned about what others think what your family thinks, what your professors or your coworkers thinks. Jesus is asking you, I believe here today, who do you say that I am? What about you? Which is why the title of today's sermon is what child is this? What's your belief about him? This morning, I am going to share with you powerful truths, all from God's word about the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, so that you may have an accurate and sturdy framework to understand the importance and the magnitude of Jesus coming and invading into our world. And my hope and prayer is in return of knowing those truths that you too will leave here with a renewed and refreshed sense of worship come this Christmas season. So let's get started. Truth number one, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oftentimes, when we talk about Jesus, we all think of the little baby boy in the manger. All right, it's very easy for us as humans to go there. But scripture says that Jesus didn't originate in Mary's womb, Jesus was in the beginning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John 1. And guys, just as a heads up, I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures in the next kind of four to five minutes, and I'm going to really make the case, okay, Jesus' divinity, right? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's going to be a lot, but I promise you we're going to recap it at the end, okay? So John 1 says, in the beginning. Now I'm just going to pause real quick, all right? Everyone reading this at the time would know those three words associates with Genesis 1 in the beginning, okay? So it's very common for the reader or the hearer to understand John is talking about the beginning of time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was a light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John's saying, in the beginning was the word, all right? This word, logos, represents the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ himself. And so he's saying, he was with God in the beginning, he was God, and all things were created through him and for him. Go turn to Hebrews 1. Found in the back of your Bibles. If you have an app, just quickly search for it. Hebrews 1. You're going to see some themes play out here as well. Starting in verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, our forefathers, by the prophets. All right? So before Christ, God spoke to uh, his people, the prophets, right? And he would reveal a little bit about his character or what's going to come. And then the prophets would then go tell the people. So he spoke to the prophets. 
Verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Check this out. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Skip down to verse 8. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of a brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, O Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Go back to Colossians, all right? A few books back, Colossians 1. It's verses 15 through 18. It says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then everything, he might be preeminent, just like superior. Verse 19. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And the last verse I'm going to take you guys to is Revelation. It's in the back. 19. Revelation 19, verse 16. This is talking about Jesus. It says, On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Even a few verses before that, Jesus says that he has a name written that no one knows. No one in heaven and on earth knows except him, God and the Holy Spirit. All right, and so to recap what we just said, Jesus, the Son of God, all right, he's the heir of all things. He's created the universe with God by the word of his power. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe. He's superior to angels. He's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. All things were made through him and for him. He's the light of the world. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's seated on the throne. The elders, the heavenly creatures, the angels, they're worshiping him day and night. Holy and righteous is he. Worthy is he of our worship. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. And he's called Emmanuel, 
God with us. Jesus is the omnipotent, the omniscient, and the omnipresent God, the second person of the Trinity. Guys, and omniscient means all-knowing, omnipotent uh, is all-powerful, and omnipresent is just ever-present God. Guys, let me reintroduce you to Jesus, our Savior. Truth number two, the most powerful being in the universe, Jesus, entered our world into the most fragile way possible. John 1.14, I'll read it real quick. It says, the word, right? John made the case about the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus became like men, a man and dwelt among us. And John's saying, as we look at him, we see the glory of God. Remember Colossians 1.19? For the fullness of God was pleased to dwell with him. And guys, this was to answer the prophesy, the prophecy of Isaiah. And even in Jesus' life, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. All right? One of them was this. Isaiah 7.14. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself... He'll give you a sign. Well, what's that sign? Behold, the virgin shall, shall conceive and bear a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. The next chapter, it says, The people walked in darkness. They have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And guys, I just want to pause for a moment and just let's think about this. Let's process this together and I'll give you a little bit of what I think through. Out of all the things in the universe that God could have revealed himself to, he chose to reveal himself in a helpless and a weak babe, a little baby. I have a picture of a baby right? Please know this isn't Jesus. All right. Um, I just typed in some random pictures of a baby. All right. In a baby. This is how God revealed himself. Next picture, right? Of a baby flexing. Oh, look at my muscles. All right. I got another one for you. I call this one Jesus sleeping on the job. All right. I'm upholding the whole universe, right? As I sleep. But guys, when I think of a baby, I don't know about you. I think of helpless. I think of weak. I think of frail. I think of cute, just like all you guys. I can hold them in the palm of my hands. I'm terrified uh, to drop them. I'm so scared to hold anyone's baby, so don't ever ask me, all right? Because I don't want that guilt uh, following me for the rest of my life of, I dropped your baby. Um, But they're fragile. When I think of them, I think of this is uh, a being that's utterly dependent on others, Think about that. Utterly dependent to feed themselves, to clothe themselves, to clean up after themselves, to comfort themselves. They need their mom to protect themselves. Basically dependent to live. And my first thought is like, 
hey, God, you're, you're God. You created all things, you know, things visible and invisible. Why didn't you, like, just come as, like, one of your, like, heavenly hosts, like, creatures, like, around the throne, you know, the, the ones with, like, six wings and, like, 80 eyes all around, and you don't know which eye to look at. You can, you're just like, stop staring at me. Like, you're God. I think I have a picture uh, up there, right? Like, at least we would know that that came from above, or... Or better yet, like, why didn't, like, God just, like, come, like, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, right? He's a wizard. He has magic. He can do cool things. He's good. He's taller than everyone else, right? Or better yet, Gandalf with, like, muscles, right? Like, I mean business. That's Photoshop at its finest. But no, Jesus came in as a weak, helpless babe. Maybe you could go back to that baby. Guys, Psalm 139, this was like kind of mind-blowing in my preparation. Psalm 139 is about the intimacy of God preparing uh, and knitting together in a mother's womb babies. And he says this of all of us, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about this for a second. God of the universe knitting together a flesh to dwell in himself, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, right? The complexities, the intricacies of God, of all the care of Jesus as coming into this world. I think of Mary, right? This young teenage girl looking at this precious baby. Can you go back to that baby? Looking at this precious baby and thinking, and praying over it. And she's praying to the creator of the world, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, as Jesus may sleep or look back at her. I think of the one that the Magi, the wise men, traveled hundreds of miles just to get a glimpse, to worship Jesus, falling a star in the sky at night, bringing him gold, frankincense, myrrh. All this for a child. I think of the one Herod, the king at the time. He had all the male babies under two killed. Yeah, that's in the Bible. He was so threatened by the presence of Jesus and his throne that he had all the male babies killed at two. Think of Jesus as the one of which the angel of the Lord and the heavenly hosts, the multitude of the heavenly hosts appearing to a few shepherd boys in that field worshiping Jesus, telling them to you, a savior is born, right? Go to Bethlehem, go see for yourselves. And the, sh- uh, the shepherds, they went and they saw Jesus face to face and they left praising God, worshiping, jumping with joy. God has been good to us. God has come in the midst of us. Jesus, son of God, And son of man, in our midst, Emmanuel, God with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And some of you may be here and may be thinking, you know what? That's impossible, Eric. How can Jesus be both God and man? Like, that just, it's not, it's not possible. There's this theory that originated in the 19th century, and it's called the kenosis theory. All right, it comes from the Greek word kano, and it literally means to empty. All right, this heresy states that Christ had to empty himself 
of his divinity, all right, to give up or to lose his divine attributes to be human. He can't be both. And this is huge for the Christian doctrine as it's threatening the divinity of Jesus. It's basically saying Jesus really isn't God. He's less. And it's actually taken from Scripture, from Philippians 2. It's, it's Paul's um, just great kind of words of, of really exalting Christ. And Paul says, Though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is where it comes from. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And guys, even with this theory, as I was trying to just grasp, right, the mystery and the power of the incarnation, right, it should be a mystery to us. It's easy to rationalize that, oh, he can't just be fully human and God. But guys, it's very important for you and myself to know that Jesus did not empty himself of his divine attributes, his divine nature, but he willingly accepted and put on our human nature, our limitations, and chose not to draw on his divine nature, except only when it was in accordance with the will of God and the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm going to repeat that again, okay? No, I'm going pretty deep. Jesus did not empty himself of his divine nature, but willingly accepted and put on the limitations of our human nature and chose not to draw on his divine nature except when it was in accordance with the will of God and the Spirit's leading. See, in the Gospels, we see both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ when he lived here on this earth. I'll show you. All right, the easy part is, right, the humanity. All right, we see the humanity in that Jesus wept for Lazarus his close friend. He thirsts on the cross. He was hungry in the wilderness. He slept and was tired. He grew in wisdom and stature as a young boy to a man. He learned how to crawl and walk. He went through puberty. Yes, his voice cracked. It happens to all of us, all right? He was tempted. He was anxious. He suffered. And all this scripture says he was without sin. He fell And got hurt. He bled. Just like we all do. We see that on the cross. Guys. He became like men. In every way. So that he would be able to sympathize. With you. Through your trials. Through your hardships. Because he loves you. And he cares for you. And God invaded. And lived amongst us. But along with the humanity of Jesus, we also see the divine nature, all right? We see the omnipotence of God, the all-powerful, and that Jesus, if you remember, he calmed the sea. He calmed the wind and the waves. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 and 4,000 with a few uh, loaves and a few fish. Like, who can do that except God? And it wasn't just like 5,000, 4,000 men. It was also the women and children. Jesus was the bread of life. It says that he had control over animals. Remember when he uh, casted the pigs to the water, had them drown? He rose Lazarus, his friend, from the dead by the word of his power. Lazarus, come out. Omnipotence of God. Along with that, we see the omniscience of God. 
the all-knowing parts of Jesus. Jesus knew the thoughts and uh, motives of everyone's heart that he came around him. He knows the thoughts and motives of your heart here right now. His encounter with Nathaniel, when Nathaniel was in the field and he says, I saw you. And, and we just know that Nathaniel was like, you are Lord, you are God. How did you know that? We see Jesus know the history of the Samaritan woman as he knew all the, the men that she's been with and all the things that she's given her life and her heart over to. Jesus knew who was going to betray him with a kiss. We see the omnipresence of God when Jesus says to his close friends, I promise, I promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He also says in Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Guys, and here's why I tell you this. Here's why I make the case of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Because if you believe Jesus is fully man, but not God, then you miss the impetus and the purpose of why Christ had to come for us. And your heart remains dead. Your worship is cold. Your life is meaningless. But if you understand the grace and the power that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, your eyes will be open in a whole new way as you read scripture you'll realize like all of us that Jesus came to redeem us, redeem, redeem, uh, excuse me, I can't talk, redeem sinners to save us from our greatest enemy, death, sin, the devil. He was on a mission, which brings me to my uh, last truth. Truth number three, Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. R.C. Sproul a great theologian says that just as the act of creation was a Trinitarian act, which means that creation was with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? They were in the beginning, they were in accordance, they were all together, and they created the heavens and the earth. Just as that was a Trinitarian act, the act of redemption was also Trinitarian. Let me show you. The Father sent his Son with a mission to accomplish to redeem and save the world. The son was pleased to obey the father and to accomplish his work. The Holy Spirit applies the work of redemption to us and to all of creation and is still moving and acting today, even in this room, hopefully in your own heart. Let me show you from God's word. Turn to John 3. John three, seventeen. Actually, I, I can't skip it. I've got to read 16. All right. The word of God to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light, Jesus, has come into the world, 
And people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. See, in John 3, what we just read, it makes it crystal clear the reason for God sending his son, Jesus, to the earth. But it also makes it, makes it clear of man's response of Jesus entering into our world. In these few verses of John 3, 19 through 21, we see the condition of the world. And more importantly, we see the condition of our own hearts. Sin, evil, hiding, darkness. And we all deserve to be judged. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one that seeks after me. God is saying that. No one. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But the good news, church, is the glory of God came to us. Ah, the glory of God came to us in our darkness because he loves us and he wants us to be saved. He wants to reconcile the world back to himself. For Jesus is the only one righteous. Jesus is the only one who sought God fully. He's the only one who has not sinned. For he was in perfect, perfect harmony with the Father, fully abiding in him. So how did Jesus save the world, you may ask? Great question. Go to Hebrews 2, and I'll show you. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. It says, since therefore the children, right, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, Likewise partook of the same things, so that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's us. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations, which big word for sin sacrifice, for the sins of the people. Guys, in this verse, Jesus had to become made like us so that he could defeat our greatest enemies. Death, the devil, the wrath of God that was, uh, that was uh, put on us. He now took our place and took the wrath himself and died a gruesome and horrific death so that we might become right with him. Jesus is our pure and spotless lamb. He is worthy. He alone is worthy. And so guys, he's literally a mediator, a high priest between God and you. And he's saying, I'm not just going to offer animals over and over. I'm going to offer myself for you. This is the only way that you can be right with God. So in conclusion, I go back to the beginning and I ask you a simple question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus 
in your life. What do you believe about him? Not what the person to your right or left says, but what do you truly believe? C.S. Lewis has this kind of thought, and I think it's pretty profound. He says that you can only be one of three things. You could think Jesus is first a liar. That everything he said, everything that's recorded in this book, everything that other people said about him, they're not true. He's a liar, right? There's a bunch of half-truths. Yes, he might have done that, but he's really not God. And you remain, you keep Jesus like on a shelf, you keep him stiff-armed, you believe, oh, he was a good man, but he's not, he's not the king of kings or the lord of lords. The second response is you could be here, you could think, you know what, Jesus is a lunatic, right? He's a madman, he's crazy. Yes, I believe that he was fully convinced that he thought he was God. But we know that's impossible. He can't fully be God and man. And so millions of people, we've all just drank the Kool-Aid, right? It's all a bunch of lie. He's a lunatic. Or the last response, you take Jesus at his word and you realize, you know what? I think this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think this is a savior to the world. To me, I think this is the one who was prophesied in Isaiah over and over again of a son that's going to be born to you, right? Emmanuel, God with us. I believe that he is fully God and fully man, and it demands my response. It demands my love. Guys, I'm not here to pressure any one of you, all right? This is between you and God. Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, all right? But this is a question of who Jesus is to you that each of us has to answer.